Welcome to the Schmall Podcast and part two of Becoming a Spiritual Athlete with Scott Kamerman. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. So I've been here since August, but you've been here like I think probably every Shabbos for how long? I've made it a, a regular, a regular trip. I feel as though for good, maybe two years. I was doing it. It started slowly, by the way, and I'll never forget. After I went to Israel in February of 2019 on on a on a mission, which to me this was, was my it was my tenth trip to Israel in February of 2019, and I went with Rabbi Wolby on an Aish Destiny Men's Mission. It was incredible, and from that point on, I started taking it upon myself to start making it a regular occurrence to come and stay by somebody in, in the in the air roof so I could have the full experience because before that I was coming to the air roof maybe once every three weeks, but otherwise I was just doing it from home. I don't live in an air roof, but I would make sure that my lights and everything were on timers. But I realized that I needed to on my own, I needed to go and take some additional steps. And so this is this made it you know much easier. And, and the community has been so warm and welcoming. And you in particular, it's always very nice to know that I literally have a, have a room here with my name on it, uh, the Scott Cameraman Suite. Even when other people end up going and staying in there, it's, it's nice to know. But that just shows how, how warm and welcoming you've been uh, to me uh, and, and, and facilitating my, my commitment to, uh, to keeping Shabbos regularly. Well, we, we, we love you being here, and I, I'll just to give the audience a little bit of a glimpse of something about you. There was a show that I always think about, a show that was on the air called Everybody Loves Raymond. And it was so funny because if you never saw it, but the whole setting, the Raymond is married, the mom definitely shows favoritism towards him. The older brother, Robert, is annoyed by the whole thing. So in a lot of the episodes, he'll always say, Everybody loves Raymond with so much disdain in his heart, right? So I'm just telling the audience every Shabbos, the show I live in is called Everybody Loves Scott. Because I don't care if it's three-year-old Hadassah jumping up and down across the street that you have to go visit. Or any kid, any age, everyone, every adult, they come running over to give you a hug, wish you a good Shabbos. I'm just the guy they have to move out of the way to give you a hug. And I just stand off to the side and say, everybody loves Sky. So it is just like there, there's, there's something about you. But let's talk about something that will come up for everyone when they start observing Shabbos. And that is the challenge when you have friends or when you have your parents or siblings say, let's go do something. Can you meet me over here on Saturday? And you have to begin explaining why you can't go meet with them. Talk about some of your experiences there and how you dealt with it. Because I think we've both gone through the process where our families are now understanding it. But talk about that a little bit. To your point, yes. Uh, now my family and friends understand, they accept, and they respect that. And the positive side is that in several cases, including really with my parents, my own Shabbos observance has actually motivated, has actually motivated them to take their own steps uh, as well towards increased Shabbos observance, which is wonderful. But... You're absolutely right. It uh, starting off was very uh, was very difficult, especially I've I've a lot of again I grew up here in Houston. My family has been in Houston since the, the late 1930s. 
I grew up here. I've my family's here. My friends are here, and a lot of guys who I went to college with. And I'll never forget a few months after I started becoming observant, as I started to become Shomer Shabbos. I'll never forget there were buddies of mine who were planning on getting together to go uh, go back to my alma mater, the University of Texas. A bunch of fraternity brothers of mine, and they wanted to do a. They're going to do a. a football weekend. And I had done this before in past years and it was so much fun. And I was invited to do this. I still remember it was in the fall of 2018. I remember it very well. I still remember that uh, I was talking and I had to tell each of my friends when I was mentioning, I, I can't come in. I mean, it was going to be Friday through Sunday. And not just that, even beyond not being able to go to the game. But then of course, everywhere that we used to eat, all the barbecue restaurants, there's like nothing I would have been able to do. And they're, they're Jewish friends of mine who I, I was in a Jewish fraternity at the University of Texas. Yeah. Uh, but it was, again, obviously, there wasn't the understanding. And I'll never forget one buddy of mine when it got back to him that I wasn't going to be able to come. He tried to call me to encourage me to encourage me to come. And he even said something to the extent of, are you going to end up coming this weekend or are you too busy being Jewish? I'll never forget that. And I was like, I guess I'm going to be being Jewish this weekend. But it... You know, and especially after the fact and after uh, it, it takes place or, or there's a, a bar mitzvah or, or a bas mitzvah of, of friends or of or friends' children that are, and I, I can't go. It just, it's not really possible. Or I'll do the best I can if it doesn't conflict, conflict with Shabbos. But it's, it's not easy, but I know deep down that I'm doing what's right and I can't go against that. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't know how to right now. It just wouldn't sit right with me. And the fact that it doesn't sit right with me to go and break Shabbos actually makes me feel good. Right. Exactly. You know, I what I found so challenging, like my friends, my high school buddies, were the crew for life. Right. Once I I couldn't make the pool parties anymore. Eventually, the invites stopped happening, and I haven't. And they're not Jewish, and I really haven't connected with them since. And in all fairness, even though I'd probably, if they called me and wanted something, I would do it in a heartbeat. But what do we really have in common anymore now that I'm a religious Jew and they're not? So, which is fine. That, that, that those friendships serve their purpose well over the time. But what, where it became challenging for me was when my siblings and my parents thought that I did not value my relationship with them because I could not go on these family events, which tears my heart when that was happening that to try to impress my like you are very important it's just god and this relationship i have with him has to supersede that and you just have to understand that it's not me that i don't value my relationship and with my siblings and my parents did you have to go through any conversations like that where they felt hurt as a result of you not joining a family event and so how did you go about talking through that right so Fortunately, they, I don't think there was a situation where anybody was hurt. I mean, really, for most people, they just they didn't understand. Up until a few years ago, I mean, you know, if it was me, I was brought up as a conservative Jew to go and believe certain things. And you think to yourself, okay, well, Shabbat is you know, it's a Saturday. I'm so, okay, great. Yeah, I'm resting. I'm going to go drive and go hang out with, with friends and relax. And you don't, it's a whole different reality. So it just was was not really under. I think it was just a lack of understanding of exactly what was taking place. Nobody was really hurt. It was just a lack of understanding. And I actually had a cousin following a a few years ago following the bat mitzvah of of of, of my cousin, his daughter. 
His older brother actually ended up saying to me when I said I, I, I wasn't going to be able to go out to dinner. Everyone was going to drive to dinner on Friday night to where wherever Friday night Shabbat dinner was going to take place at, I don't know, a Chinese restaurant or something. And all my family was going to be there. And I said, well, I, I'm actually heading over to to the Eruv to, for, for Shabbos. And I still remember him saying to me, what, did you join a cult or something? And my response was at that point, yes, I joined the exact same cult that our great-grandparents were a part of and everyone before them, all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. And so I don't know if he fully got that, but it, it was just a, look, it's nice, you know that your family loves you because you're because you're and, and because you can't join them, because you can't join your family. They wonder where you're at. They don't really understand. And what I've learned along the time of being about the Shuva, and I think we spoke about this as well, is you have to know when to say something. You have to know how much to say when you're explaining, because sometimes they're not going to get it, no matter no matter how you explain it. But you just have to say, "Look, I'm I'm on my I'm on my own journey. Just please respect that." And again, as I mentioned, most my family understands that. I know that the, it's very nice that they express that they mentioned that they miss me, and it does make me feel a little bad and a little sad. Here I am in Houston, where all of my family is when it comes to even a uh, a holiday, if it's a Passover or whatever, and I'm with what I regard as my family here in the community for, for meals and so forth, but I'm not with any of my family. All my family is, is across town uh, getting together right. and stuff. So that's, that's, where the, that's where the challenge is, kind of not being with them, because I love my family and I love my friends, the, fam- the friends who I grew up with. And to your point that you had mentioned about friends who you don't have a lot in common with, I don't have a lot in common these days as a result of, of, my, of my journey with friends of mine who, who are Jewish, you know, who are reforming conservative Jews. And that's, that's kind of sad. Yeah. So it's good for people beginning this to understand that that is one of the complications, but it does get worked out over time. You know, my parents, about a year and a half ago, their home flooded and they stayed with us. And so we explained to them how Shabbos works. My parents did not get it growing up very reformed, like all these laws and especially with how keeping the kitchen kosher and this is meat, this is dare. They're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? But they were very respectful, very amazing people. But I remember after that first Shabbos, or on that first Shabbos afternoon, I was sitting with my dad and he's like, you know, I, I get it. Like the whole house changed its tempo. You were busy, Sean was busy, Elsie was busy with school, and then now you guys are just hanging out and you're spending time together. He's like, I respect that. That that's a great thing, and I think he's also seen it now with us being here in the school Elsie's in, and what she's getting from that environment versus the the public school. So they, he definitely, my parents do get it, but it is still a challenge when they planned a my mom's 80th birthday two months ago, and everyone was there but us because it was over Shabbos, and so that's a, it's an ongoing pain. But I'm just letting the listeners know that you may have more, you may be more like Scott, where you influence them to keep Shabbos and maybe they'll start experiencing Shabbos with you. But that is something that will happen, but it will work out. It's all, it's all good. And that's the satisfying goal when all is said and done is when your family and friends understand and respect and the real, I don't know, victory is the right word. The real triumphant feeling is when you find 
as I have with some family and even some friends of mine, how they've taken, they've started taking their own steps. Now, maybe they're not ready to be, go the full Baal Teshuva route, but they realize when all said and done that what I'm doing is not wrong and it's not bad. And they're curious and they ask questions. And in their own way, they look to take their own steps. And that makes me feel really good. So um, because in a situation like that, just like you mentioned with regard to your father, that he respects that. When they start when they start respecting what it is that you're doing is when their minds become open to the idea of uh, possibly maybe exploring a little bit more. And that's all it takes is just to not be closed-minded. The last thing I think either of us want is to have family and friends who are completely closed off from us or choose to not have a relationship with us because they're angry with us because we've gone down this route. And while this has not happened to me, I do know people who have it really became something very personal with their own family and friends. And they, you know, they, they, they relationships, uh, family, personal relationships have suffered as a result of it. So it's, it, it is, but to your point in the question that you mentioned, or the, the issue that, that, that you posed, it's the fact that that's right. You know, early on in particular, it's new and it's a matter of the people who you're most close to. You don't need to tell every single person about it. People who you're most close to who are going to potentially wonder where you are on a weekend or over a Jewish holiday. Perhaps you were with family or friends. But if you're not going to be to explain to them and to let them know, of course, that you still love them. No, you're not part of a cult. You're not. You're not doing anything <laughs> bad. Quite, quite the opposite. And what's great also, I should say, is there actually are numbers of books that I've actually even given people. I still, there's a, there's one book in particular, it's a small book I've seen over the Torch Center. There were many copies of it. It's called Jew Got Questions. And I love it because it's, it's just something that it, I like to read it myself, but I've given it to a few people I know who I'm close with. So, and I point out to them like, okay, here's why I'm doing certain things. Okay. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't had any punch. I'm not doing anything, anything weird or out of the ordinary. I'm, but you know, you have to go and explain to people uh, slowly and give them time to understand and and hopefully be open to the idea. Yeah, there, I think some of the or, original hurt from my parents was that both their parents grew up very reformed. It was almost like, oh, reform's not good enough for you. It was almost like a, I was disrespecting their parents. And what they don't understand is that well, what about our great great grandparents? Because I'm doing the exact same thing they were doing. You know, if you sort of look back. I'm actually the one glomming on to a family tradition and in no way was it was intended to be disrespectful to my grandparents. But the other thing that I will say is that even though my family sort of thought too that I'm joining some cult and that's a little crazy. Why can't Dan do this? Why can't he do that? Doesn't make any sense. But they will all say, and they have all told me, but we like cult crazy Dan a lot more than the old atheist secular Dan. So they see, they begin to see the transformative effect of Torah in the end. They like, well, we, we like the product, the output, regardless if we don't understand why you're doing these things. I think those listings, they begin to go through this. That's one of the things that will impact people, even if they don't understand why you're doing the things you're doing. Right. And to your point too, about uh, when we're talking about exactly, you know, our grandparents and our great grandparents, 
it's funny, but we, we always, everything really kind of begins, I, I believe, with the Baal Teshuvah, really everything, and it's, it makes sense, because everything so much is, is focused in our faith around Shabbos. Shabbos is the foundation of everything. It's the fourth commandment. It's a reason. It's so important. And this is where the first major change a lot of times ends up happening. And when we start explaining to people, when I start explaining to people the importance of it, Yes, I have seen that as well when it comes to older generation because they start thinking of their own parents and grandparents who were quote-unquote good people, absolutely, but they also were not were not Shabbos observant the way that, you know, generations before that all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu were. With regard to Shabbos, as I was sort of thinking through that intro and reframing this whole idea of retribution, punishment— you know, I started thinking about why Jews who have experienced Shabbos their whole life, why it is actually the exercise routine for humility. Because the whole idea of Shabbos is that once a week, after all your creative work and all your successes, you stop. And then all your focus is on not creating because you are in a constant state of acknowledging that you are a creation of your creator and that humbling process you go through by recognizing that you don't create anything everything you have is from Hashem that is their training for keeping that ego in check once a week and that's why when those of us come and we're new to it our ego is so flabby and out of shape and big that we need some additional reinforcement to get us in line, but that that's what Shabbos comes in. That Shabbos prepares us for Olam Abba. That really becomes I think I think the major exercise for the Baal Teshuva really first and foremost becomes Shabbos and taking on themselves the various the halacha associated with Shabbos because it's a lot. And I'm sure you remember your first I remember my first Shabbos experience. I stayed at Rabbi Wolby's house and I didn't know what to expect. I knew, okay, I was going to shut off my phone, and I knew not to go and touch any of the lights. But other than that, I knew nothing, and it was a very surreal kind of experience. It, was just, it wasn't bad. It was just new. Right. It was just different, and I felt such a sense of accomplishment after going through my first real shops experience, and then I remember doing it a second time. And it's a matter of habits that are formed can be either good or bad. Right. And I think that's a big part of, of being a Baal Teshuva is forming good spiritual habits. I think that's a very important thing to do. And Shabbos really affords that opportunity for a gut check with regard to everything that you were saying about the fact that, you know, it's a day where we're not creating anything. We recognize uh, where we stand in the world, our relationship with Hashem. It's a time to sort of take stock uh, of the week to be especially, or an additional, more so, a tremendous amount of gratitude to Hashem through the blessings of rest and the, and the togetherness and the wonderful meals. And you get caught up in that and it becomes, it becomes something, something very special. That's why I always find it so wonderfully inspiring to know that Shabbos observance is the equivalent of one sixtieth of Olam Haba. As they go and say that sleep is one sixtieth of death, on the flip side, observing Shabbos is this sense of, of the world to come. And that's what's really amazing. And you actually get a sense of that. It comes with challenges. It's always sort of my one well, of my logical proofs for this idea of a Yetzer Hara, this evil entity that's 
influencing things because when I would go back and I was, I was so apprehensive about Shabbos and after you experience it, you're like, it was the most irrational arguments, like no phone for 25 hours. Oh no. And then after you turn your phone off, like, I don't want to turn that back on. The emails will start piling in all the work. Like what am I missing out on? What am I missing out on, on not driving somewhere? Cause it just leads to running errands. Like, there's nothing rational on why someone would say, I would not want to do this. And everyone who does it says, yes, that's, it's a fantastic, but there's something that's blocking us. And that's why, because it's so holy. And our yes, Rod does not want us to experience that. I know, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's worth mentioning. The Yetzirah, you feel every day. I know I'd every morning, I, because I'm also not in an Erev, I know every morning I got to get in the car. I got to drive a good 15, 20 minutes to the nearest shul for morning shacharis. Same thing in the evening time. I got to go for for Marv. And every single day, especially in the morning, my Yetzirah is giving me every reason why. Just stay in. You can, you can put tefillin on the afternoon before Mincha. Just, you can sleep another 30 minutes every day. That Yetzirah it really gets pushed to the limits. You really feel, feel that Yetzirah, especially when you begin the, uh, the Baal Teshuvah route, and especially with regard to everything. And again, it's about, as we were saying over and over again, it's about developing good habits. I think when you get into, into the habit, the good habit of uh, getting up, of, of davening every morning and, and, and davening in the evening and Shabbos observance the way that it should be, that's a great way to keep the Yetzirah in check. Right. And you know, if the Yetzirah, if you're feeling this pushback from doing something that you know you should be doing, that means it's something, it's a big, it's a big holy move for you. It's going to take you to a whole new level, which is why it's focusing so much effort, energy to stop you from doing that. That's right. And and it's balanced out the feeling that one has. I can tell you, especially on an occasional morning where I just don't, I'll tell you right now, today happens to be the 4th, well, we're observing the 4th of July. I can tell you this morning. The Shacharit service began much later at the shul that I go to, and I really was like, I, I don't, I don't need to today. It's all, it's a holiday, but I went, and afterwards, I always feel great. No matter if I'm getting a lot of pushback from my Yetzirah, or my Yetzirah is trying to tell me that I shouldn't do something. Once you've, do, once you've done the mitzvah, you've done something good. It is such a great feeling of accomplishment. It's kind of like the great feeling you get, uh, I guess it's sort of compared many times, it's compared to when you're going to go exercise. Maybe you don't want to go for that, for that uh, five-mile run, but boy, do you feel great afterwards. You want to get to that feeling there. It's just nothing like it. Right, exactly. Let's talk about some other challenges that, that come up. One of the things maybe you could speak to, Scott, for the, uh, those listeners who are single, is that dating and looking for the future Miss Cameraman it takes on a whole new dynamic once you decide I'm religious, I keep Shabbos, I keep kosher, and I want a Jewish girl, a from girl, a girl that's going to do this with me. It takes on a whole new dynamic. So I'll, I'll say this from my experience. In my 20s, or really growing up, it was totally acceptable, of course, to marry another Reformed Jew and equally as acceptable to marry a Christian. Orthodox Jew, if I brought back an Orthodox Jew, that probably have raised some questions. Like, what is he doing? But for growing up the way we did, it was sort of like, look, we all know Reform, Judaism is made up, Christianity is made up. The only problem with the Jew and a Christian getting married is in the month of December, they run into some challenges where one wants red and green decorations and pine trees, and the other wants blue and white and uh, menorahs. But that, those are just problems that can be resolved with a good interior decorator. That's it. 
So when you when I would go out, it was just like anyone was a potential person for me to meet with. And but it, it takes on because now you know, you're talking about really finding someone and looking at things in a much deeper, probably less superficial way. So talk a little bit about that, how the change and, and how that process looks from your perspective. Yeah, well, it's there's when it came to dating for me, the most important thing for me is that was always ingrained in me from from my family, from my parents, is to marry somebody Jewish. That's really what it was. It didn't matter reform, conservative, orthodox, someone who's Jewish. It was not it's never been acceptable with regard to my own parents to marry anybody who's who's Christian. Uh, someone who converts, no problem. Uh, so it was a pretty much a wide berth there that was what was acceptable in my family. Um, I have gone on my own now and become a Baal Teshuva. I've narrowed that, I've now na- narrowed that wide berth down much more to your point to finding someone now. It's very important someone uh, to be able to go find someone who's Shomer Shabbos, uh, Shomer Kashrus. So it, it's not, it's certainly not easy. Um, and in this, what I, I take a lot of pride living here in Houston, being, being a native Houstonian and seeing over the last 10, 15 years how this community uh, has grown. I believe that Houston is one of the fastest growing observant Jewish communities in the country. People are flocking here from everywhere. The problem is, is when it comes to single Jewish women who are, who are observant, it's harder to find them here. So I'm having to, that you talk about the challenges of it, I'm needing to look look outside uh, the neighborhood here. And it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not always easy because not just that, you and many times, sometimes you end up going and speaking to, or I go and end up, uh, sometimes I'm set up with, with, uh, with women who have been observant their whole life. And sometimes the look when it comes to, when the question comes up about my own family, and my own family is not, is not fully observant. So you become a bit of a hybrid and so it's there. There's certain challenges there, and being able to go and and connect with the right person, it just is not. It's not something that's easily spelled out. So I have to just challenge myself to look outside traditional norms, and when it comes to dating, to be able to go and find the right one. Have you experienced ball teshuvaism? You know, like there's racism, sexism, anti-Semitism. <laughs> is there? Women who were brought up from from birth, do they have sometimes a stigma? Is there a stigma associated being a Baal Teshuvah? You, you know, it, it's interesting. I really have not met anybody that is outwardly that way. I think it comes down to a commonality that many time um, people who have been uh, observant their entire life want to be, you know, obviously it, it comes down to also connections of the family, merging of the families as well. It's one of those things, if I do speak with someone or when I am speaking with someone or if somebody wants to set me up, I always go and say, are they okay with someone who's about to shuva? Because many times in, in observant communities, it's again, it's the, the families are able to go merge without any sort of, of, of issues at all. And I have a wonderful family here, but, but their level of observance is not, is not what the other observant families are so there's so so you're talking about you want you know that's that's where the only kind of hesitancy i think i think comes into and sometimes they they want to sometimes the questions come up as well what's the level have sometimes questions come up about have you been to yeshiva if you haven't why not and so forth so sometimes you get grilled a little bit about it and quite frankly it makes it very easy when all said and done there are there are just some people who don't want to date you know they want to go and date someone who has been 
you know, they say FFB, not BT, you know, from for birth, <laughs> not, not Baltashiva. You start becoming an alphabet soup when all is said. Right. So you just make sure to go stick with, stick with the letters <laughs> that people are most comfortable with. See, I think there could be a way to reframe that, a good way of marketing it differently. Because most women, and I'm saying something like I know most women, but from talk with women and maybe sort of joking around is that when they get married, they never think, I'm excited to get married because I'm about to marry the perfect man. It's typically, I'm excited about getting married because I'm going to make him into the perfect man. Right? As I hear this come up where the husband after a while says, well, I'm not, I'm not in a project. And was like, uh, yeah, you are a project. See, I would think that as a ball to Shuva, you'd be packaged up. Like, uh, like we're a, a, a from Jew kit, assembly required. You know, it's all the pieces they need, and they can actually make you exactly how you want because you don't come with your own family traditions. Right. So it's an easy melting. I say, I think we could reframe it that way, Scott. I have to tell you that that what I what I really like is I like the notion that's always explained to me that the relationship how a relationship is between a husband and a wife with the explanation of there being like a ladder. The woman is at the top of the ladder. The man is at the bottom. And the relationship between husband and wife is the, the, the man is striving to get to the level of holiness as the woman and the woman is working, the woman is working to make sure that the man doesn't fall. I've always loved that concept. So whether someone is FFB, BT, LMNOP, no matter what they are, <laughs> uh, that's, it's, it's a constant theme that, that, uh, I, I like very much. And so, you know, you're, you're talking about, uh, and I, I love the spiritual uh, explanation of what ends up happening when a man and woman come together, the joining of their neshamas to become one soul. The spiritual aspect of that, I absolutely love. It's absolutely beautiful, and it's the MS. And so, you know, what I'm looking to do when I'm dating is to find someone who I can put at the top of the ladder and look to go and, and strive to someone who I can grow with. And so when it comes to someone who is someone who has always been observant, it comes down to, or if it's, if it's someone who's, who's always been observant or if it's someone who's, if she's a Baldashova in her, in her own right, I'm just looking for someone who I can end up going and, uh, and uh, partnering with to be able to go and, and grow and grow spiritually. We're all always, all of us are always on a path of, of growth. Nobody ever right. is supposed to stay stagnant, as you've mentioned many times on this podcast. So I'm looking for when it comes to getting, when it comes to getting married, I'm looking to be able to go and grow with somebody. And it doesn't matter to me what their background is or their level of observance, if it's something which, they, which they've always known or if it's something which they discovered like myself and like you later on in life. So if you are a single woman and you're looking to meet an incredibly beautiful, sweet, smart, intelligent man, you can email me at presidenttorchweb.org. <laughs> Operators are standing by. Okay, so, so that is one of the challenges that can come up. So that, that's, I think that's good for people to, to know. But, but like every challenge, the more the challenge, the more the blessing that comes as a result of it. You know, something else, it's, it is worth mentioning, Dan, that, that I have to tell you, it's always very nice in this community, as you're very nice to exaggerate a little bit, as you were saying about everybody loves Scott. I, I, will, <laughs> I will tell you, though, I think what it is, I speak to a lot of people in the community here, and I think that there is, and this is the wonderful part and the wonderful welcoming feeling that I always get, I think, 
you've mentioned as well that that you get here is there's a great people really embrace Bali Teshuva here. So even though I'm not with my family, you've heard me mention earlier that I'm not with my family during during the Chagim or Shabbos or, or times like that. There's certain things I have to end up giving up. The community here very much embraces Bali Teshuva and, and and has with me, and so I just have just kind of reciprocated that. It's a very it's a it's a very warm feeling, and I found the people who have been observant their whole life find it fascinating. They ask the very questions that you've been asking at the very beginning. You know, what was the what was the motivating factor? Like, why would you you know you know what did you why did you choose to actually end up doing this? And it goes so far to even go and say I I remember going and having a conversation with Rabbi Wolby about the fact that. I was driving home late one night, and I was driving by McDonald's, and man, it smelled good. And I was really hungry, and I hadn't eaten dinner. And you felt that I felt the temptation to just drive through. Ah, not a big deal. I'll look, I'll just get a fish sandwich and just right. whatever, fine. And I didn't. I went home, and I felt good that I didn't. And Rabbi Bowlby said to me, he said, you know, he said, I, I, I really admire that. He said, I don't know what it's like to have that temptation. I've never, he's never had McDonald's. Most of these people, most people that live in this community have it. They haven't had those same things which we grew up on. And in a sense, it's almost like uh, because you have so many wonderful people who are always looking to become, who are always looking to do as many mitzvahs as possible. And in a sense, it's really funny, but ironically, it's almost like a little bit of jealousy in a good way that we have the opportunity because we are really tempted by our Yetzirah. Right. To, to, to go and partake of these things that we used to all the time, but they don't have that. They, they, there's no frame of reference there. And it, it kind of goes in the morning prayers. I always think it's very interesting when we're, lead, when we're saying the morning prayers in the morning. And, of course, you get to the one point there that says, uh, it says uh, thank you, God, for not making me a woman. And, of course, a woman says, you know, thank you for making me a, a, as, as I am. And I, always, I, never fully, I never fully understood that. And it was explained to me that the reason why we actually end up going and saying, thank you, God, for not making me a woman, is that women are naturally more holy than men. And basically what it's saying is, thank you, Hashem, for giving me extra obligation. I have to work harder to get to that point. So putting that in context with regard to the challenges that we have, in a sense, I have a feeling that there are people in the community here who see, who know the fact that we are, we have a lot of temptations out here to that that, that we're stri- constantly striving to overcome. Sometimes we fall; that's okay. But we know that. But if you don't know any of these sort of temptations outside or any of these challenges, everything from something from like eating just a McDonald's hamburger, right? Then you don't ever have that temptation to to want to partake of that. But so it, it just comes down to it's it's just kind of I think worth mentioning. I, I think that's what it is. It's interesting. It's the same way I get. When I speak at the at the synagogue and I go Davinet, I see Gerim or future you know future Gers, people who are looking to convert, or even especially those who already have, who have converted, who've gone undergone a full process, a full kosher conversion. I'm always fascinated, and I want to go and ask. So why? How you know you're getting? I mean, because I think that I, you know, everything becomes perspective. Yes. So people in this community will look at, at people who are, who are Bali Teshuvah and say, "Wow, so where did you?" Blah blah blah. But you know, I still have a Jewish family. But I look to people who are who are who have become gears, and I think to myself, "Wow, what was the motivating factor for you to, in many cases, completely leave your family and everything that you know to really become a fully observant Jew?" 
I, I find it inspiring. And this is why I was going to say with regard to, to you and, and, and to your family as well. It's really absolutely amazing. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I learned something interesting that, you know, space and time exist here. But in the heavens, like we talked about getting closer to God, there's no distance. So it's not like we can shift our locale and get closer to God. You get closeness comes from likeness. So I've known that for a while, and that's how we get close to God, by being in his image and the way he operates with us in this world, the way we operate with others, and that brings that, that, that closeness. However, what I learned just the other week for Shabbos is that, that time, there's no time, but what's being measured is change. So the, the amount of change someone is making is what is creating a progression forward. So the more someone's moved the more of an impact it has on the heavens. And you're right. Like they never, it's not even like a crappy McDonald's sandwich, right? It's just like for one, it's, they never experienced a drive through. You just drive through, you order, and it, they pulled in, you're like a pig eating it in your car. <laughs> like they would never eat in their, in their car like that. They sit down and they say a bracha and, and eat like a civilized human being, but they never experienced just some of those conveniences. And they are, they are very difficult to, uh, to give up. So, Scott, any other parting words, some words of wisdom for someone who's beginning the process? Again, as I explained in the beginning, there's challenges that are going to be come your way, but they're going to be different for you than what they are for me or what they were for Scott. But the idea here is that they are just circumstances being created to help mold and shape us and, and, and bring us closer to God. Is there any other advice you would give to someone who's beginning the process, Scott? In beginning the process, more than anything else, it's important to have a good rabbi, someone who is uh, someone who you, you can confide in, someone who can empathize with you. If there are other people who are, who are beginning the journey, other Balteshuvas as well, you have that camaraderie and, and support. I think that's, that's, that's very, very helpful and very, very important. And as you're going through the process, really the most important thing, and I will tell you, this is one a bit of advice that you've given me um, about the importance of clinging to Torah during the day. I do find it very helpful. It's a bit of advice that you mentioned to me about making sure to cling to Torah and, and studying that whenever you're feeling frustrated, which you're going to feel along the way to understand that these feelings are normal and that everybody has them. And I still have them. I know you still have them. It happens all the time, but to cling to Torah in whatever way it is or whatever learning, whatever avenues we choose. I read a lot of Miam Loez. I like to kind of delve into all aspects of Torah, Talmud, Midrash, Mishnah, uh, so for me, I know that uh, you know you yourself. You know you're studying halacha, and I know that that was Zohar. All these things which you which you dabbled in, but of course by by going and reading this and connecting this there, it's a it's a feeling. It's an automatic connection towards something higher and towards that sense of purpose. And to realize that when all is said and done, I think what it does is with patience comes perspective. And as long as you take a deep breath and realize that what you're doing is right. Surround yourself with the right people as you're going through the process. Understand that not everybody understands what you're doing and accept that. Don't try to convince people who don't want to listen to what you're doing. Just as you're going to ask people to respect the choices that you're making, as hard as it is sometimes, 
you need to respect that not everybody is going to be open to to the new direction in which in which you're moving. And this is these are all things which I've had to learn. In some cases, I learned the hard way. <laughs> the hard way. It's very interesting because I forgot what it's called. But people become many times when they start learning something new, no matter what it is, they want to share it with everybody. Uh, whatever they want everybody to go and have that same level of excitement because they're learning something new. They want other people to feel that too. And I know within the first year of me beginning this journey, I was trying to throw books in front of people. And right. that's when you started getting the pushback. And, yes. and that's, that's part of the that great, great advice. I had the same experience. I was so excited. I was wanting to share with my family. And there was a, a very important Kabbalistic concept that just like there's that proper balance between Hesed and Gavora that you have to have right. with each individual, also with how much information you're giving and how you're giving that information. And you have to know whether the person's open to it. If they're not, it's going to come across the, the wrong way. Great advice, Scott. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories, your advice. I think they were very meaningful. And I think that there, there it was all messaging that I think is going to help out anyone that's beginning this amazing journey, amazing endeavor to becoming Torah observant and becoming closer to God. So thank you, Scott. Thanks, Dave. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.